We inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is At The Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to The Core here on American Family Radio. Glad to have you with us today on the program. This is our Friday edition of The Core, and uh, we'll have Chris Woodward in with us in the third segment. Last segment of the show, we'll have Chris Woodward with American Family News on the program. So stay tuned for that. And uh, we do save the best for last. So Chris will be in with, with us here in a little while. Um, we're in Psalm chapter uh, 62. Psalm chapter 62. David says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. So our firm foundation rests in the Lord. Um, David says that God is his rock, his salvation, his fortress, and that he won't be shaken because of God. Uh, so may we lean on that this week and always. That's Psalm chapter 62. Well, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, cover various uh, uh, plethora of issues today and stories just to, just to bring us up to speed on some things that are going on around the country and around the world. Um Let's see. I came across this story. This is pretty pretty interesting. This is a Breitbart report, but it has to do with uh, the politicization of the FBI, Department of Justice under Biden. Um, listen to this. This is a report out of Breitbart. FBI agents wanted to close the Trump documents probe. Remember this? They raided Mar-a-Lago, went after pr- former President Trump all about classified documents that were being stored at his residence. And so this report says that FBI agents wanted to close the case. They didn't think it was worth pursuing, but the DOJ and FBI leaders demanded that a raid be conducted. Pretty fascinating stuff. Let's read a little more into this. Some Federal Bureau of Investigation's field agents wanted to shut down the probe into suspected documents held by former President Donald Trump as early as June, but Justice Department leaders pushed for and ultimately got a surprise raid on a Mar-a-Lago, on Mar-a-Lago in August, according to a report. According to the Washington Post, FBI officials and DOJ clashed fiercely over how to handle recovering suspected classified documents from Trump, with FBI agents arguing for a cooperative approach in the DOJ pushing for the unprecedented raid on a former president's home. So these FBI agents were saying, look, let's settle this, you know, let's settle this out of court or rather let's settle this out of uh, uh, out of negotiations maybe with Trump's lawyers. But instead, uh, the DOJ and FBI leaders said, no, we're going to raid Mar-a-Lago. We're going to raid it. We're going to go big. We're going to get the cameras there. Uh, we're going to we're going to make a big show out of this. And that's what they've done in the past. I mean, this is not, this is very blatant politicizing because you look at how many cases are handled. I mean, look at Peter Navarro, all right? This is Peter Navarro, um, former um, senior advisor 
economic advisor, or rather trade advisor to President Trump, Peter Navarro, um, very, very good man. Well, he was, you know, he didn't want to testify before Congress, and so he didn't show up to testify before Congress. And we could get into the whole contempt of Congress and not showing up to a subpoena, et cetera. But putting that aside, because that's not the point of, the, of what, I'm, what I'm talking about here, he, he, there, was a, there was a criminal referral to the FBI from Congress. There was a criminal referral over to, to, uh, to the FBI because Peter Navarro wasn't uh, adhering to the subpoena request from, uh, from uh, the Democrats in the House of Representatives. So nonetheless, Peter, Navarro's, Peter Navarro and his attorney, they knew this was coming. They knew the FBI was going to come uh, arrest him and process him because of this. And he offered, he lives like two blocks or three blocks from the FBI headquarters and the courthouse. He said, I'll come down there. His attorney told the FBI agents, uh, Mr. Navarro will be glad to turn himself in to, uh, uh, to federal officials. Just let us know when. And instead of giving him a time and a day to turn himself in, they show up at the airport when he's trying to fly across the country. They cuff him and they walk him out of the airport in front of the cameras uh, to make a big scene. And we've seen this with... Um, with uh, Paul Manafort, we saw it with Roger Stone down in Florida. They bust his door down at they bust his door down at 5 a.m. when he's in his pajamas, and CNN was tipped off. By the way, they show up with all the cameras. I mean, this stuff is just in your face, politicizing of our of our law enforcement agencies. So that's a report out of Breitbart today, um, citing the Washington Post as far as uh, the agents on the ground said. There's we don't need a we don't need to raid the the former president's house. Uh, we can work this out through other means. And uh, leadership said, no, we're going for the big one. Uh, we're going to raid uh, Trump's residence. And uh, they won out on that. Uh, this is another another interesting story I came across uh, today. You know, our, our, our federal deficit is just um, out the wazoo. That's the saying. Our federal deficit is at $31 trillion, 32 now. And I was reading this week, like, how you count thousands, millions, billions, and trillions, and it'll just blow your mind. I mean, you start reading about how much a trillion dollars is. It was talking about, this article I was reading was talking about how if you got paid a dollar a second, not a dollar an hour, a dollar a second, how many years it would take you to earn a trillion bucks. Um, it was like thousands of years. I forgot the number, but it was tens of thousands of years that you would have to work. If you got paid a dollar a second, how many years you would have to work to earn a trillion dollars? It was thousands. I think it was like 30-something thousand uh, years you would have to work. And so our government has spent $31 trillion that we don't have, and there's no sign of this stopping. That's the concerning thing. And we come, we almost become desensitized to the to the word trillion. We talk about, you throw it around like, you know, 10 trillion, 50 trillion, 30 trillion, whatever. And we just keep talking like it's, you know, yeah, you know, just a trillion. But that's just astonishing, folks. 31 trillion bucks is what we've spent. Um, I don't know if this is sustainable or not in the long run. Most economists say it's not. Uh, eventually, you know, something's going to have to break. Um, the, the devaluation of the dollar is probably the most likely scenario. Um, but we're at 31 trillion and we've made it 31 trillion and nothing, um, drastic has occurred. I mean, you could say the dollar's devalued, uh, you know, we've got some, some interest problems, et cetera, but 31 trillion bucks. So on this story, this has to do with Democrat Senator Joe Manchin, of West Virginia, 
He called out Democrats on Thursday of this past week for refusing to negotiate on what he calls reasonable and responsible spending reforms. Reasonable and responsible spending reforms uh, with Republicans amid the debt ceiling standoff. So they're trying to negotiate raising the debt ceiling. And uh, the Democrat senator from West Virginia said uh, the other Democrats, they won't even show up. They won't even talk about any any kind of uh, reforms or anything to bring the debt, uh, um, rein it in a little bit. They don't even want to go to the negotiating table. That's uh, another astonishing fact. Uh, this one, I think you're you're gonna like this one. These these headlines don't make it uh, out there to the to the main mainstream media conglomerates, but you're gonna like this one. So there's a there was a study done on uh, California wildfires. You know, the, the one of the main reasons California has these uncontrolled wildfires is because their forest management program is virtually non-existent. They, uh, in the name of being environmentalist. They don't manage their forest, all right. They don't, they don't cut fire lanes. They don't, they don't cull out uh, uh, forest and, and 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 try to prevent them from becoming like hotbeds for wildfires. So instead, in the name of like being green and environmentalist and tree huggers, they just let it go. I mean, they just let the the, the forest completely take over, and and that might be fine uh, through natural means until you've got. You know, cities with 500,000 people dropped in the middle of the forest. Well, then it becomes a problem when wildfires break out. So um, listen to this. Listen to this. Listen to this study. The raging wildfires just in California, just in 2020, all right? This isn't going back like a decade or two decades. This is just in the year 2020. The raging California wildfires of 2020 created enough carbon emissions to offset 16 years of reductions through the state's so-called green policies twice over, according to a UCLA study published by Environmental Pollution. That's a publication. So here we are in the U.S., specifically in California, and they're trying to be green and they're trying to reduce their footprint, and it all sounds very virtuous. But they're failing to do one of the most basic parts of modern civilization, and that is to manage the forest properly. They're refusing to cut fire lanes, uh, fire breaks, they call them. They're refusing to do controlled burns. They're refusing to do control, uh, any type of common sense measure that minimizes the the damage done by wildfires. Look, you're never going to be able to prevent wildfires altogether, but you can manage the damage that they do through common sense approaches to forest management. They're, they're hardly doing any of that. And so when fires break out, they just they just go completely out of control, burn neighborhoods, uh, towns, I and mean, it's very, very tragic. And so in the name of being green, right? They're, they're not gonna they're not gonna cut down uh, fire lanes, they're not gonna control their forest. In the name of being green, they have they have put out more emissions through these wildfires just in 2020. Uh, to, to offset the, the 16 years that they've been working for electric vehicles and more energy-efficient homes, et cetera, et cetera. 16 years just gone down the tube uh, because they won't do common-sense things to control uh, the wildfires in California. You know, this, this state, I know California is a beautiful state. Uh, I haven't been there. I think I was there when I was a child, but of course I don't remember it well. Uh, but I talked to people who are from California, live there, or lived there in the past, and it's beautiful from what I hear. 
absolutely beautiful state, but it's just being mismanaged. It's it's being very mismanaged. And uh, on this note of California and being mismanaged, so you got the the wildfire problem, which is uh, partly partly man made, um, partly man made. This other story I came across has to do with these uh, gas appliances. You know, the story came out about a month or two ago where the Biden administration was talking about banning gas uh, appliances. So any any appliance in your home, oven, um, you know, dry uh, clothes dryer, um, you name it, uh, 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 stovetop, fireplace, whatever, anything that uses gas. Uh, like natural gas or propane, they're going to ban it, right? Because all of a sudden, after, um, you know, decades upon decades of usage, all of a sudden it's it's unhealthy, um, even though there's been studies done on this, exhaustive studies for years and years and years. But all of a sudden, the Biden administration has an epiphany uh, that gas uh, appliances are bad for your health. Well, uh, California, specifically the Bay Area, so like San Francisco, they're considering a complete, not only a complete ban of, of new purchases of electric, I'm sorry, gas appliances, but they're also considering forcing residents to, to get rid of what they currently have in their home. So like if you're, if you're cooking on your stovetop using gas and your whatever, something goes out, maybe you're a uh, your uh, pilot light or something goes out or your gas line has a leak in it, whatever, you name the, name the cause, and you call a technician in to spend, I don't know, maybe like 100 bucks to do a common appliance fix, they would not be able to fix it. It would be illegal to repair gas appliances. So instead, instead of spending 100 bucks on a common household appliance repair, Oh, you'll spend five, seven thousand bucks on a new on a new electric um, stovetop. Wow, folks! And, and we wonder why California is becoming the state of the haves and the have-nots. Because the middle class folks, they're not going to be able to afford the fancy seven thousand dollar electric stovetop. But you know, the folks in Hollywood and the actors, oh, that's no, that's just a few pennies. They're, the middle class is being assaulted in California, and it's a shame. At the core here on American Family Radio, we'll be back in just a few minutes. At the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Now, back to At the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome. Back to the core on American Family Radio. I'm Walker Wildman. Good to be with you today. Hey, if you want to watch the show, you can always go over to streaming.afa.net, streaming.afa.net. Create you a free account there and watch uh, at the core whenever you want to watch. Uh, We'll, of course, have it live streamed there. But if you want to watch it later or if you just uh, want to go back and maybe you missed a segment, you can, of course, go back and do that at your convenience streaming.afa.net go there create a free account of course if you want to become a monthly donor become a great commission partner uh, we'll go ahead and give you access to everything on there including all of our full-length documentaries um, and some of our other special content there at streaming.afa.net 
dot net. Well, I, I want to change uh, subject. I, I did uh, cover uh, 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 various stories in the first segment. Uh, kind of bounced around on a couple of different topics just to just to fill you in on some of those. Uh, but I want to focus in on what's going on uh, regarding COVID and the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic. You know, uh, very early on in uh, uh, with the COVID pandemic and the virus and the Trump administration, very early on in that whole saga, there was a lot of talk about like where did this thing come from? You know, where does it's twenty. 19, late 2019, early 2020, um, things are going pretty smooth with the Trump administration. We're headed into a, an election season. And all of a sudden, we start hearing stories about Wuhan, China, and some kind of virus going around the world. And it just seemed to come out of nowhere. So there was a lot of uh, speculation and a lot of talk um, amongst the public and amongst government officials about where this thing came from. And, and a, 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 a pretty pretty uh, viable theory was circulating and it actually there was some it wasn't completely out of nowhere i mean this some pretty good details were in on this and that is this uh, wuhan institute of virology in wuhan china and the reason that came up is because they are known for studying bat viruses all right in wuhan china and it just so incidentally or coincidentally the virus happened to originate from Wuhan, China. Out of all of China, <laughs> it happened to come from the same uh, the same city as this virology lab that they study bat viruses in, and and it supposedly came from a wet market, which is a couple blocks away from the Institute of Virology. So all these things were coming together, and so all eyes got on this uh, <clears throat> uh, Wuhan Institute of Virology, and <clears throat> there were some ser- there were some pretty good journalistic reports that were pointing fingers at this uh, this lab leak theory, which is what they call it. And of course, anybody who dared to question where the virus came from or to speculate, you know, they were called, you know, names. They were said, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. You're being uh, uh, xenophobic, whatever that means. I mean, they went after Trump for, for suggesting it came from China as if saying anything negative about China is somehow hateful towards the Chinese people. Um, but as it turns out, that theory was not just a theory. It was a very, very high percentage that the bat virus came from there. And to prove my point, we have a clip from the FBI director, Christopher Ray, telling Fox News' Brett Baer that, yeah, I mean, it's very likely this came from the lab. Clip one. Let's this Department of Energy study uh, that says it's likely uh, to have come from a lab leak, although the confidence low, it cites the FBI. What is the determination by the FBI? So, uh, as you note, Brett, uh, the FBI has for quite some time now assessed that the origins of the pandemic are most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan. Let me step back for a second. You know, the FBI has folks, agents, professionals, analysts, virologists, microbiologists, etc., who focus specifically on the dangers of biological threats, which include things like novel viruses like COVID, uh, and the concerns that in the wrong hands, some bad guys, a hostile nation state, a terrorist, a criminal, the threats that those could pose. So here you're talking about a potential leak from a Chinese government controlled lab that killed millions of Americans. And that's precisely what that capability 
uh, was designed for. I should add that, uh, that our work related to this continues, and there are not a whole lot of details I can share that aren't, aren't classified. I will just make the observation that the Chinese government seems to me has been doing its best to try to thwart and obfuscate uh, the work here, the work that we're doing, the work that our U.S. government and, and close foreign partners are doing, um, and that's unfortunate for everybody. So um, there, there's the FBI director, Christopher Ray on Fox News with Brett Baer saying, yeah, yeah, the FBI has concluded that it's highly likely that um, this uh, virus came from a lab. Well, here's what NPR had to say about it. When you and I were 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 talking about did this come from the lab back in 2020 and 2021 here's what uh here's what npr said this is a, a tweet by npr back on december 31st 2020 a new poll finds 40 percent of respondents believe in a baseless conspiracy theory that the coronavirus was created in a lab in china npr goes on to say there is zero evidence for this Zero. Scientists say that the virus was transmitted to humans from another species. <laughs> so so uh, to th- talk about and think about, you know, did this come from a lab is completely baseless. It's a conspiracy. But to talk about how somebody might have been hiking in China and a bat swooped down and bit them and just happened to transmit a novel virus to the human... Oh, that's what they said was more viable, according to the scientist. And this is this is why um, there's a lot of skepticism out there. There's a lot of skepticism, and honest, uh, honestly, a lot of uh, pragmatism or, or uh, uh, just cynicism. That's the word I'm looking for. Out there is because we get told, "Look, look, we're the experts. We got this. We're the professionals." And then they get it wrong. And they do that over and over again, and then the next time something comes up, they go, "Trust us, we got this. Trust us," and uh, we all go, "No, nah, we've been this, we've been down this road before." Um, we'll we'll kind of think think independently on this. So the NPR NPR said, called it a baseless conspiracy theory. No, not rooted in in fact at all. NPR said, "Well, as it turns out, um, we were right. We were onto something back in 2020 uh, when we said this thing likely came." From a lab, but this has this has serious implications. I mean, it really does to think that uh, China, uh, one of our top adversaries, whether we admit it or not, uh, that they were meddling around with bat viruses that were lethal in a lab, and they just oops let it slipped out. Uh, that's a big deal. That's a big foreign policy blunder that they they have to account for. And I don't know why we're not going harder against China. I mean. We don't. We're not allowed on the world stage to just let you know bat viruses slip out of a lab and infect the whole world and crash the world economy, and cost people their jobs and their livelihoods, and they just move on business as usual. But that seems to be what's happened here. Um, China's not really having to account uh, uh, to the world on what happened at that Wuhan Institute of Virology, and one of the reasons I believe, and maybe NPR will call this as well a baseless conspiracy, but. The reality is, is that the U.S. was funneling money into this institute. That's a fact. The the CDC, the FDA, specifically um, NIAID, they were funneling grants 
uh, through U.S. agencies and U.S. institutions into this Wuhan Institute of Virology. So there are U.S. tax dollars going into this place. So if it if it comes out that they were being careless with the way they were handling this research, then it comes back on the U.S. and it doesn't look good for us. And then both China and the U.S. have to account for what was going on there. Well, we wouldn't want that, would we? Um, so that's what's going on on that front. You know, I have been talking extensively, and I have had on various experts, including Dr. Peter McCullough and others, to talk about these COVID-19 shots. Um, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene was uh, participating in uh, some sort of hearing the other day. Uh, actually, this is a this is a U.S. congressional uh, subcommittee hearing on the origins of COVID-19, etc. And Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene here is talking about the number of reported injuries and why it's not being investigated more. Clip two. Researchers found that the vaccinated are at least twice as likely to be infected with COVID as the unvaccinated and those with natural immunity. But as of February 17th, 2023, here's what is shocking to me. There are 1,524,000. 524 and 481, this is over 1 million, 1.5 million adverse COVID vaccine effects reported on the VAERS system. And no one seems to want to investigate what these vaccine injuries and deaths are all about. And that's something that cannot be ignored. Hmm. So that's Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene out in Georgia there. Um, and she's right. You know, um, I don't know the specific numbers, but, but, when I did look into this pre-COVID, when there were um, clinical trials and studies on different shots and medications or vaccines, um, if there were like uh, just an inkling that that the, that the clinical trial was not going well or that people were being injured by the clinical trial or the study, uh, they would halt the whole thing. I mean, the entire study would be halted, and they would they would investigate what's going on. But that that's not the case here. That's not the case here. This this previous rigorous standard, medical and scientific standard, that we've got to make sure that what we're giving people is not making them worse off. That whole standard's been just thrown out the window here, and. And you've got to you've got to talk about the obvious, and the obvious is is that the pharmaceutical industry, the meaning the pharmaceutical companies, are heavily in bed with the same agencies that are signing off on their drug applications, and so we've really got to question the integrity of the whole process. I mean, this whole process of approving pharmaceutical drugs for the market has to be, in my opinion, completely reexamined. we got to completely look at how do we approve drugs, who has a say on the improve, uh, appro- uh, approving of drugs. That all has to be talked about because right now the way it's set up is the, the pharmaceutical industry is, is heavily integrated with the same agencies, including the FDA, that sign off on these drugs, and the companies turn around and end up making millions and billions on these drugs, so there's money at play. And there's nothing wrong with money. Money can be used for good, but when there is money heavily tied up behind decision-making, you have to make sure it's on the up and up, and that's what needs to be done 
at the FDA and these pharmaceutical companies. We've got to make sure that we're not just rushing through drugs so that pharmaceutical companies can make a couple billion bucks uh, in, in spite of people's health uh, not being cared for. There's one more clip I want to play. This is a uh, doctor uh, over in uh, Europe, Dr. Tina Peters, and she's talking about how there were no fertility studies over this COVID-19 shot. Clip three. If you looked at that MHRA um, report for the public, um, you will see that they didn't do any fertility studies. Pages 16 to 21 are of particular interest for people to look at if they're interested. And they did no fertility studies and, um, and they didn't even do fertility studies in animals. It wasn't, they were exempt. The studies and trials were exempt, which is most peculiar. Um, they didn't do any studies in uh, pregnant women and yet it was pushed on pregnant women. Um, and we know from the Pfizer studies themselves that um, the, um, they said to the women in the studies, you must not get pregnant, you must use contraception, you mustn't get pregnant under any circumstances. And human nature being what it is, 25 women did get pregnant. And out of the 25 pregnancies, there were 15 miscarriages, which means that's 58% miscarriage rate for women who were vaccinated and became pregnant. And out of the nine babies that were born, five had congenital abnormalities. So this is a complete disaster, absolute disaster. And we've seen miscarriage and stillborn baby rates go up um, enormously, actually. In Scotland, the normal rate is two in a thousand, and it's gone up to 4.9 in a thousand, which is the highest level for over 10 years. Is this, so, is this, I mean, those are just absolutely shocking numbers. Well, that's uh, Dr. Tina Peters. She's a women's health specialist over there in uh, in London. Uh, she graduated from um, Guy's uh, uh, qualifying. She qualified for medicine at Guy's Hospital in London in 1983. She's a women's health specialist, and she's uh, talking about the the lack of studies, the no studies, uh, no fertility studies on the COVID-19 shot. Now, what she does say there is that. Uh, some women in these uh, trials did become pregnant during the trial, uh, even though they were advised not to. And then she went on to cite the, the horrific statistics of the number of miscarriages uh, amongst those uh, those women who became pregnant uh, during um, that trial. How can you how can you not do a not a, not do a fertility trial? There's a difference between a, just a generic clinical trial on the general population and then doing a specific fertility trial on pregnant women or on women that are of childbearing uh, years. How can you not do a, a, a targeted fertility study, but then you go out and say this is safe and effective for women who are pregnant? I mean, why is there not a liability here? I mean, you can't. You can't make like some of the most basic consumer items without going through rigorous safety standards and getting all kind of stamps of approval. And even then, now the way our legal system is set up, if there's some kind of defect in a, in a consumer product, then you get sued and they'll shut you out of business. Think about all the all the car all the vehicle manufacturer uh, recalls. Your seatbelt doesn't work. The airbag doesn't work. The rearview mirror doesn't work. 
and they spend millions and millions and billions to fix those in the name of consumer protection. But we rush through these shots and we don't do any studies. It's astonishing. We'll be back in a few. At the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Now, back to At the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to At the Core here on American Family Radio. Good to have you with us this Friday edition of The Core. And of course, we do bring Chris Woodward in with us each Friday to bring us news from a Christian perspective. American Family News, AFN.net's the URL. Uh, go there, check it out, subscribe to their daily newsletter. They're not going to bombard you every three hours with a email. They're going to send you one a day, uh, five days a week, with the news roundup of the day. And, of course, you can unsubscribe at any point, although we don't want you to. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Well, Chris, there's this uh, Trump v. DeSantis that is just um, it's percolating out there, and it has been for some time now. And um, it, it really gets under the skin of a lot of people who like both Trump and DeSantis mm-hmm. yeah. um, because many people want, want to make us pick sides, you know, pick one. You can't have both. But in reality, both have done or are doing good things for the country. I mean, think about all the good things that Trump did when he right. was president. Think about all the great stuff DeSantis is doing as governor. Um my, my my reaction is I don't like the spat because we've got common enemies and common issues to work on instead of firing, uh, having a Nerf gun war with each other. Yeah, and you know, if you're the Democratic Party, which has no bench whatsoever, uh, you're enjoying this because it does it seemingly increase the odds that uh, whether it's President Biden or some other Democrat running in 2024, they have a good chance of uh, making this a, a big contest here. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, Trump and DeSantis do, assuming, of course, DeSantis does become an official presidential candidate. And I got to tell you, if if he's not running for president or he doesn't intend to run for president, why in the world is he traveling to all of these places around the country to promote more than just his book? He's going to <laughs> Iowa uh, next week. And interestingly enough, Trump said yesterday or actually, um, excuse me, Wednesday, that he plans to uh, visit Iowa mid-March. So you're going to have a former president and somebody that may be running for president visiting Iowa, which, as we all know, is the first big um, sweepstakes state yeah. uh, for Republicans, at least, when it comes to running for president. Yeah, and I don't like the low shots at DeSantis. Um, and it, it, it appears that this is a one-way street on the Trump uh, uh, MAGA train. Mm-hmm. You can fire shots at everybody, but if you say anything negative about Trump, then you're a never-Trumper, you're an establishment, and you're a globalist. And it's abs- it's, it's, it doesn't logically make sense. Mm-hmm. But on DeSantis, I don't like the, um, the shots, the fake shots and the untruthful shots at DeSantis because the guy's been a leader. I mean, and he stands for all the right things, mm-hmm. and he's been a great governor. And so um, that's that's one area that's been a little bit frustrating. But um, but this is this is Trump. I mean, this is what Trump does. Sure. He takes low shots at all of the people he doesn't like, 
And most of the time, it's against people that we don't like either, mm. <laughs> but sometimes it's against people on our own account. Yeah, it caused a big stir in 2016 when he called Ted Cruz Lion Ted. And he also he had, went after his wife. Yes. Which is a uh, low shot. Uh, little Marco. Uh, you know, and, and you're right, we do laugh when he says things like Sleepy Joe. Right. Uh, but when you start going on the very people that you're going to need to help you govern, right. that's where I think a lot of uh, center-right voters um, have an issue. Both both guys are essentially the same personality. It's, 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 it's how they uh, get their point across. Like, we have a saying here in the South— uh, you know, bless your heart. Yeah. It doesn't always mean something nice. Right. Um, DeSantis is the bless your heart guy. Trump's yeah. the guy that will just tell you whatever is on his mind, even if it's a word I can't say on American Family yeah, Radio. Yeah, and he's a fighter, and that's what people like about him. And he also uprooted the status quo, which people were like craving for, um, mm-hmm. uprooted the status quo in Washington. So uh, President Trump was a very, very good president, had some excellent policies. I mean, he was a fighter. He stuck to his word. I mean, mm-hmm. there was a lot of good things he did. So he, we yeah. need to recognize that. Uh, but that doesn't mean we have to then start taking shots at Governor DeSantis. Um, so they're both going to Iowa. Yes, uh, is what you have here. Um, yeah, and you know, like I said, if DeSantis is not running for president, why is he mm, traveling to places yeah, like Iowa? He is the year before the election. It's highly likely that he's running yes. for president. John Stenberger from the Florida Family Policy Council was on AFR earlier this week. Uh, he was on today's issues. The podcast is still available on AFR.net. And Stenberger is of the opinion that DeSantis will run for president, most likely after the legislative session is over in Florida. Uh, he said he had a few. Uh, Stenberger said DeSantis had to get a few more things under his belt. Uh, Florida's probably looking to do maybe a heartbeat bill, uh, something involving open carry. They mm. may even join the list of states uh, looking to ban gender manipulation of minors. Mm. So assuming that is all done this year in the legislative session, DeSantis may have formally announced after that. Yeah, we're going to get into this 2024 cycle uh, pretty soon. I mean, we're already into the primary season. we got a couple candidates declared. Yes. Uh, so we'll continue to monitor uh, that. You, you mentioned the Mississippi legislation. Let's remind our listeners about that. I talked about it earlier in the week, but it, it's not not going to hurt to remind our audience. Yes, and this was, you know, to, to our audience's credit, this is something they, uh, Mississippi listeners, um, were able to lobby their legislators to help pass. Uh, it's HB, or House Bill 1125, also known as the Regulate Experimental Adolescent Procedures, or REAP Act. This is something that Speaker Philip Gunn got through the House uh, here in Mississippi. The Senate took it up and quickly passed it. Governor Reeves said he would pass it or sign it uh, in his state of the state, and he did deliver on that promise that he would sign this. Um, so from henceforth, uh, Mississippi will not allow... Um, gender manipulation of minors so mm. 17 and under um kids aren't going to be able to go to a hospital and have things done on them by doctors and hospital staff and stuff like that yeah. uh, even doctors that violate the law are going to have their licenses pulled mm. mississippi isn't the first state to do this but it's among the first states moving in this direction uh and you know governor reeve says health care this is about health care yeah. it, we're not going to torture children and do things to them that they may grow up to regret later as many of them do we're finding out. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's quite ironic how we want uh, 14-year-olds um, to be able to uh, have a quote-unquote surgery that irreparably damages their body in the mm-hmm. name of gender affirmation, uh, but uh, you can't drive 
you can't buy tobacco and you sure can't serve in the military. Yeah, you can't get a tattoo. No. Um, you know, right. uh, a piercing. I mean, like there's all kinds of things that involve one's own body that we uh, as a state don't allow uh, a person to do unless they're of certain age. Nobody in government is saying you can't do this regardless mm-hmm. of age. It's just, you you know, you can't be a kid and make life-altering decisions. Absolutely. So we're protecting children here in Mississippi, and we need to spread this across the country because um, th- this uh, – some call it a sexual revolution, but this sexual deviancy agenda is wreaking havoc on people. It's wreaking havoc on people, especially young people. People are all kind of confused, and this goes back to the moral state of our of our country, mm-hmm. the breakdown of the biblical family. It can it all roots back to scripture. Um, but government is is and was instituted by God, created by God as a as to be a force for good. And so uh, government absolutely uh, needs to be in the business of legislating morality. That's what they're there for, to make sure that noble, virtuous, moral things are happening and that bad things are not happening, and if they are, they're punished. Right, and that's where I think this is going to undoubtedly be uh, an issue for the presidential candidates, whether it's Donald Trump or Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, maybe Ron DeSantis, assuming he enters the race, Mm -hmm. Senator Tim Scott. Many of those candidates are coming from an ethical, moral background. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, big into fighting the woke stuff at the moment, but Nikki Haley also. Uh, And then you had the GOP response to the State of the Union from uh, Arkansas Governor Sarah Sanders. She said, basically, we're stuck between two choices, normal and crazy. Yeah. Um, So, uh, you know, all that's still going to be an issue six months to a year from now. Yeah, and we got to keep fighting back as Christians because because, uh, Satan knows no limits. I mean, Satan knows no limits, and we go from—I mean, listen, Chris, to how far this has gone in such a short period of history. We went from 2014-2015 Supreme Court case on on the issue of marriage, mm-hmm. and it, it, the talking point was live and let live. This doesn't affect you. This doesn't affect your religion. I'm talking like like how, how, how the unbelievers were talking out mm-hmm. there. There was all this talk talk about how why do you care if we have a, a government recognized relationship, mm-hmm. etc. There was all that talk, and anybody who dared to question uh, uh, same sex marriage and the and the lawsuit, etc. You were a bigot. You were a hater. You just needed to be quiet. So we went from there, Chris, to not six months after. The Supreme Court case, they were wanting boys to go in girls' bathrooms in North Carolina. Mm. Remember that? House right. Bill 2, yeah. North Carolina boycott, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they wanted boys to go in little girls' bathrooms in North Carolina. They thought that was cool and that was needed. So it went from from uh, the government recognizing their relationship to boys going in girls' bathrooms. Then, Chris, we went to Drag, drag Queen Story Hour mm-hmm. Then we went to cutting on minors. I mean, at some point, we got to put the foot down and stop this stuff. Yeah, and a great point here. I was about to say, we had somebody uh, from Turning Point USA on one of the AFR programs recently, and she talked about you know the fact that a few years ago, it was just you know marriage. Let us be married, right. get over it, that kind of thing. And now you have dudes dressed as women. And it's not even that. It's like dudes dressed as demonic women riding on a unicorn Very dark. with a rainbow... Uh, saber you know, yeah, whatever it's basically this, become a religion yeah like ba- a sexual religion they're going after the kids because the adults aren't uh, caving to it and what better way to try to get the next generation than go after the smallest ones and to also state the obvious uh because i'm not afraid to state the obvious uh, most of these folks aren't having children uh, no. especially the the homosexuals they're not having children because they biologically can't according to their activities 
Um, so they can't have their own children or they don't want to have their own children. So what do they do? They hijack ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the typical uh, move um, that they've been doing. Uh, I do have this story, Chris. Don't you like how I brought you in for stories and I'm bringing you stories? Yes. Um, this is a Hershey's uh, story on Hershey's. So they're, they're, they're woke. They're out there. Mm. Um, even though their chocolate is great. Don't you wish they would just focus on their primary business? Hey, let's make great chocolate. Not let's go woke and be left-leaning. It's the way Grandpa did it. It's the way Dad did it, and it's worked out pretty well thus far. Yeah, I mean, come on. It's like, why do you have to meddle around in the culture war? Why don't you just focus on your primary customer and your primary business function? But nonetheless, Hershey's in Canada, they're doing this like Women's Month, Mm -hmm. Women's Emphasis, greater women which you go what's wrong with that walker well keep listening they brought a dude in all right Mm -hmm. now they call him transgender but it's a dude all right biologically this is a man but they lumped him in with with four other real women Mm -hmm. and they they're including him in their emphasis of women i mean what happened to the feminist movement, Chris? Well, it, it was hijacked by the radicals. <laughs> True. Because uh, there was a day and time where liberals were fighting for things like Title IX. I'm talking about yeah. here in the U.S. And now members of the same Democratic Party are saying, no, Johnny can be with J- Janie uh, if he feels or says he's a woman and you all have to get over it, uh, yes. even if it's uh, of, you know violating her privacy or taking her sports championships and stuff like that. So it's, they've, radicals have taken over the liberal parties yeah. uh, in the U.S. and in Canada and in other parts of the world. It's not your daddy's Democrats, yeah. let's put it that way. Exactly. They've gone, gone way overboard. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's what Hershey's is up to, especially in Canada. Um, what are some other uh, stories, Chris, that we have going on this week? Well, uh, one of the things that we've gotten a lot of attention for has been the coverage of Senators uh, Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz just tearing apart uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland for the Biden DOJ's treatment of Catholics and uh, pro-lifers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Senator Josh Hawley was, he did not mince words when he took Garland on for sending a bunch of heavily armed uh, FBI agents to arrest Mark Houck for something he, a court found he did not do. Wow. That being violating the uh, the FACE Act, which is a federal law that involves uh, abortion centers. Um, and, uh, you know, Hawley just really ripped apart Merrick Garland for approving that, but not doing anything to go after, like, the people bombing pro-life pregnancy resource centers. Mm. Senator Ted Cruz brought that up as well. Uh, Garland uh, went on to say that basically the the FBI does not share that same opinion. Uh, wouldn't wouldn't <laughs> apologize. Uh, he didn't really even answer any questions from uh, people like Senator Hawley. Um, we've had a number of people on to talk about this, and I bring it up because you know. Um, Holly was concerned about how uh, Garland has treated Catholics. Yeah. And, you know, not everybody in our audience is Catholic. You might be a Lutheran or a Baptist, Methodist. You might be non-denominational. Right. But what the government will do to one person of faith, they will have no problem doing to you Absolutely. and where you work. Absolutely. So That's why we have a First Amendment. Right. So, you know, if, if, there are rating, if they're raiding the home of a Catholic pro-life uh, guy that does sidewalk counseling on the weekends— Yeah. They'll have no problem busting up in the Baptist church. Yeah. And, and that's why it's a concern. And that's what's uh that's what's astonishing, Chris, is you got this dad, Mark Mark uh, what's his last Mark name? Mark Halk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's uh he's on the sidewalk in front of Planned Parenthood. And I'm, I watched the video. I, I didn't like read the criminal reporter and all that, but let's just say he gets in a scuffle. And and, and once again, there's questions on who started it, mm-hmm. what was going on, what was being said. But look, at a minimum 
He got in a little scuffle on the sidewalk with a Planned Parenthood worker. That's it. Yeah. But we've got guys, we got MS-13 mugging and murdering people and getting out on bail that night in New York, and Biden's DOJ is nowhere to be found. Yeah. It's just crickets. Yeah. They Pro- pick and choose the people they want to go after. That's right. Priorities, or the lack thereof. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. All right, folks. Hey, if you've enjoyed The Core, don't forget to check out our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Go there and subscribe. You'll get the program dropped there every day, and you can listen to it at your convenience. Thanks for joining the show. We'll see you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.